there's clearly this contradiction between what our communities believe in and what our communities are being indoctrinated to 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 act upon and that will definitely increase and is increasing disease prevalence Okay, so thank you so much, Amit, for joining us today. Um, if we can start with the basics of human interactions, which is an introduction to who you are, as well as what drew you to Centric. How did you hear about the work we were doing and why did you agree to come to the town hall? Yeah, for sure. So. Firstly, thank you. My name is Amit Singh. My pronouns are he, him. Um, and I really got involved with climate justice through, you know, the global health lens of things as a medical student. Um, as I got more and more involved, I realized, you know, like I said, that the justice perspective was actually the foundational side of it. And I still kind of have a, a love for the science behind it and the, the research side of it, right? Um, but as Central Labs recognizes very well, a lot of the research that goes on isn't really community-centered. Um, so a friend of mine actually sent me a link to the town hall. When I looked into it, I realized that this is actually kind of what I've been looking for in the sense of the research combining with the community, combining with the justice aspect and everything just, you know, working together really, really well. Um, so yeah, that's how I got involved. And, and I thought I have to check this out. And here I am. Cool. Thank you so much. And um, do you want to talk a little bit, if you feel comfortable, about any communities that you are that you feel you are part of, whether you know it's your medical Definitely. community, your cultural community, or your activist community? Yeah, for sure. So, firstly, definitely, you know, the medical side is definitely present. Uh, medical school keeps us busy, so uh, there is a healthcare basis there as well. Regarding where I'm from, I definitely have a strong connection with my. Um, my, my heritage in India, which is in uh, Punjab. Um, and, you know, that's becoming more and more relevant with climate justice as we're seeing protests happening or have been happening in the past recently um, for farmers' rights, etc. Um, and also in the UK as well, you know, um, I'm from the southeast, um, from Colchester, which has quite a long history in itself. Um, and then my activist community has always been wonderful as well. So I've been involved with Students for Global Health, which is a student organization, surprisingly enough, working on global health issues. Um, and since then, I've been kind of jumping into stuff like Health for a Green New Deal, which is a campaign that we've been working on. And a few other small projects that I'm going along with that as well. It's okay. all been really, really fun. Awesome. Thank you so much. So actually, let's let's um, start to weave in um, the conversation based on something that you just said. So you mm -hmm. talked about the, the farmers a, could hmm. you talk a little bit more about them so um, we are all up to date? And then B, from there, maybe use it to start to weave in the conversation about ecological health because they yeah. are a good example of how those two things go in tandem. There has been, I might have this wrong, mm -hmm. but over 400,000 suicides of mm -hmm. farmers in India. So, yeah, and they yeah. are advocating it, yes, for their rights, but that is so intrinsically tied to health. And of course, if people are dying yeah. of suicide, that is a huge health um, uh, risk. So, um, yeah, so you want to weave in the, the farmers' rights alongside maybe your start of why ecological health or what is ecological health? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And I think the point you raised there is a great way to start um suicides in india but also you know across the globe we see farmers have an increased rate of suicide um the issue in india has been a, a lot of the farming comes from communities that are, are already minority communities and the government has been targeting them in different ways and one of the ways that they target them is through policies that impact farmers um so the recent one that happened, which has now been revoked by the government because of the protests that happened, but the one that was put in place originally was to uh, take away any cap um, on spending, which means that you know large industrial companies can just buy um, grains from farmers for really, really cheap prices and have no limitation, which really takes away any financial stability. 
and re- in reality, you know, any money at times because they can get paid really, really poorly. Um, so that's where the, the protests really started. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was the biggest protest in the world to date. Uh, I, I will confirm this after this call as well to make sure. Um, but that that's what I remember it being. Um, and like you said, we've had multiple thousands of deaths through suicide in the past in, in the pharma community uh, due to issues like, again, finances firstly, but secondly, things like loneliness um, and also looking at irrigation systems because a really powerful tool that the government have used to, to put down these communities has been restricting the access to water, although the majority of the water, a large amount of the water sources come from that region itself. So they've kind of used that to 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 restrict their livelihood as well. And then when we go into what happened recently with the protests as well, we lost approximately 700 siblings or so uh, to the winter and, and you know different things um, in that process as well. So it, it has been quite a big struggle. And like you said, it's very, very well related to, to climate justice because um, I think the first thing to realize with climate justice is that it's not only about what's happening in the future, it's about what's happening now. And what's happening now is communities are being taken advantage of. Um, again, that links back to everything we've just talked about, such as the border systems. Great, so let's um, keep going and expanding on that. So if I give you the perception of Centric where we are with ecological health, then you can um, mm-hmm. add your, your viewpoint to it. So one of the ways, or one of the pathways that Centric is looking at the definition of ecological health is that health and or healing is not coming from just one source, i.e. medicine, specifically Western medicine, right? So you have a headache, you take a pill. It is that it's a much more holistic viewpoint. More than that, or more specifically than that, it's that we are taking the approach that healing is that of reaching wholeness or being in wholeness. Now, I will caveat that. That doesn't mean perfection. (laughs) Um, Because again, I think sometimes to Western ears, wholeness can be misinterpreted as seeking perfection. Mm. Um, But but if you are being subjected to structural violence, which definitely what is happening in India is a quintessential example of structural violence. So structural violence is was was coined by a Norwegian professor as he was observing that there are multiple ways that a person can experience violence that is not just a direct of, okay, you, you are confronted with war or you are confronted with someone trying to injure you, but that there are systemic pathways in play. And that that is one of the ways that we as a body collide with the external environment, environment, yes, nature, but also including societal politics, economics, the things that humans create, and that there is that relationship and how those two things collide to create health risks or to create healing. And so that is part of our definition of why health is ecological, i.e. it is not just what you as an individual are doing. It is also, it's very much tied to your external world. So do you want to add on to that? Because as you have said, you are studying medicine. So um, how would you, how would you comment on that? Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great definition already, to be honest. Um, and, and And I was actually, you know, thinking about it before the meeting and to kind of really relate to, to everything you've said there, um, the way I've been seeing it or the words that I've been using, which I know it upset a lot of biologists, but I've been thinking of it as a symbiotic relationship almost. Uh, and I do not mean that in, in the biological definition of it, but just generally how, you know, we rely on the ecology and the ecology also relies on us. Um, we can't exist without one another. Um, and that that obviously links to structural violence and structural institutions that that you know uh, perpetuate discrimination in, in many different forms. But it also goes as far as to the general ecology, you know, the, the greenery within our system as well. And obviously, that in itself is interlinked with institutional violence. You know, we see how uh, communities with, with, with poverty actually have a lot more just just concrete buildings and and less greenery available to them and stuff like that as well. Um, so it's all very, very well intertwined and linked in. Um, 
and the, and the way I see it, uh, or the way I was thinking about it, was that our health is impacted by our actions and our actions are directly impacting our environment at the same time. Um, so, so I totally agree. I think uh, just recognizing those two aspects of it and seeing that that one thing does not exist without another is really important. And we see that really every day in medicine as well. Um, when I go to different locations, I get a briefing from different doctors telling me that this is the kind of patient you'll see here. You know, recognizing that drug abuse is higher in some locations, recognizing that, that lung cancer is higher in some locations. And, and uh, the good doctors, the ones that are really caring for the communities, will really recognize why that is, you know. They'll recognize that the policies the government have put in place have led to certain discrimination between different communities. Um, and, and I think it's really important that as healthcare professionals, we recognize that and, and campaign towards that. Because the first thing that we want to dedicate our lives towards health action, that has to be the most impactful action as well, right? And the most impactful way to do it is to change policies. Um, that includes protests and everything else as well, but I'm sure we'll get into do that a bit more later. Yeah, yeah, those are all really, really good points. Um, I am going to put a pin in that because yes, I want to come back to it in terms of what does this mean in practice. Mm. Um, so I wanted again to go in in something that you said about water and that mm -hmm. water that belongs to that community is being either taken away or they are their access to water is being um, obstructed. This is a, sadly, it is a conversation or sorry, a phenomena that is happening worldwide, um, whether it's with um, indigenous communities and on Turtle Island um, and across Turtle Island, um, or whether it's conversations, sorry, phenomena happening in, um, in, in the continent of Africa. And so now you're, you're, you're saying that this tactic again is being used in India. So can you, do you want to comment a bit again about, again, the link between water access and healing? And this is just to expand more on this, on the sense of wholeness that we are being taken away from that wholeness, from that source. And, and, and in my terminology, it would be, it, it would be, I consider it a sacrilege taking water away from somebody because it's such a fundamental mm. element mm. of who we are. So yeah, so do you want to explain just a little bit more about the, the water uh, crisis, if you, if you can explain it, but equally, what is that link then to us as from a healing perspective? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it, it, it's absolutely huge, right? The most logical approach to it straight away is obviously the relationship between agriculture and water. So you can't grow crops, you can't grow food, and obviously you can't actually drink the water itself if there's less water available or less clean water available. I mean, if there's dirty water as well, that adds a new relationship where you've also got increased diseases prevalence as well. So that's like a whole addition to it as well. Um, when you move ahead from the directive health impacts as well, which, you know, there's tons of studies on already, if you move away from that and go further into the community aspect of it, a lot of these communities, uh, and I know mine definitely, uh, recognizes water as a spiritual being almost, right? Yes. Um, like the Golden Temple, which is the, uh, the, the main building for the Sikh community or the main, main temple for the Sikh community, um, is surrounded by water, you know, and and a lot of the, the holy ceremonies that we do include holy water, and we see that in so many different cultures as well. Um, so it's directly damaging, damaging um, the the culture in itself. You know, we see water as a sense of purity, and to take away that purity from someone, um, and to take away their right to exist in a, a a space where they can engage with their spirituality and with their community in a healthy manner is in itself like you're going back to it an act of violence um so so that's where i kind of link it in a, in, a, in, a, in a bigger sense as well um i think the final part of it is really that's dehumanizing you know we recognize that we need water as human beings and to to take that away is considering someone as not being not even human but not being worth living in a sense you know we already have a very anthropocentric culture where we care about humans more than we care about animals. We're going to damage animals, but even animals get water, you know, um, and even insects get water. 
and and there's this need to reduce human's life to to lesser and lesser uh, throughout that process um yeah which obviously damages animal life as well because you're to 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 reduce the human's life to an animal just to reduce the animal's life in the first place so that you know it, it really broadens that, that link as well yeah that's a really that's a really great place to be in that in that broadness because again bringing it to the wholeness conversation wholeness again has to include the spiritual side of things and yeah. what you said i mean yeah we are the water and especially clean water is being taken away from all of us trees insects fungi the whole ecosystem because mm. it's being taken by industries because we industrialized societies have deemed that what should have dignity is capital rather than anything that is living um but going into the the spiritual side of cleanliness the same from my culture of there is a cleanliness again not in the western sense of taking away germs but it is a closeness there is a vibrancy mm. and an energy to water that puts you so close to creation itself i mean for us water is a creator and you are close to that energy of the creator when you are in water uh, because we are also water ourselves. And so there is this, as you said about the symbiosis, there's an ability to to permeate these two forces, right? Between our our body and the bigger force. Um, and you create this through your interaction with water. And to take that away is that you are taking away such a fundamental part I like the way you use being such a such a vital part of being and again and it's not just us you watch birds or um or hippos or any other being like that they also call to the water for a ritualistic type of cleansing yeah. um so yeah so it is it is stripping away again to that wholeness and which again goes to the violent aspect so in terms of the the framing of the individual that was one of the questions that i wanted to ask because you are doing medicine in a western country mm-hmm. and so much of medicine in the west is framed to the individual both in the sense that if you are sick it is your fault you have done something wrong and we've seen it very much recently with covid um and yeah. you know that the only thing that we got given even though, yes, there is, of course, an element of efficacy to washing your hands and wearing a mask 100%, but there were no conversations about an ecosystemic way of how we needed to act in order to stop COVID. And then B, there's a historical, again, in the West where early Christianity very much linked poor health to a sin to the point where they didn't even want druid practices or any type of indigenous practices, land-based cultures to come in and say, actually a plant can heal you or this can heal you because they wanted that sovereignty that only your conversation with God is what counted and that's how you were going to heal yourself. Um, So so we can't take away that history because I think it iterates within this culture that both you and I practice in that I think we, you know, we, seems to be that we've straddled two worlds in terms of being scientists educated in the Western epistemology, but also being people from non-Western backgrounds. Mm. Um, So do you have anything there to say about that contradiction of knowing and seeing the world in this, or sorry, knowing and seeing health as an ecological phenomenon, but then the practice of medicine in the West being so individualized? Yeah, yes, 100%. Um, and I totally agree with everything you've said there already. Um, the way the way I'm looking at it, it, like you said, there's a colonial aspect to it, right? We saw the the old Christian colonialism that you just mentioned, and, and we see that, you know, uh, in, in, in recent colonialism through the British Empire and so on as well. Um, 
and there's a huge capitalistic aspect to it as well, where we are basically saying, if you can afford this, you deserve the right to health. If you if you can afford good food, you deserve the right to health, and so on and so forth. And you know, the the key thing that we really see um, people being looked down for a lot is smoking, in my opinion. Um, like people look down on them for, for for damaging their own health, right? But if you look into the statistics, people who are from minority communities have a higher chance of smoking, right? Um, especially on a, on a class level, because everything breaks down to class, you know, uh, all different forms of discrimination are rooted or, or, or are perpetuated through the class structure that we live in. Um, so there, there definitely is a blame culture um, and I think communities that are most impacted are finding their footing. And if not are finding it, they already have it. You know, like we said, a lot of them already have histories in in, in community-based healing. And the ones that don't previously are recognizing that they have to look after each other because no one else will look after them. The issue is that the people in power are still individualistic because they don't actually see the negatives out of it, right? Like they 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 get the positives of being individualistic because they get better healthcare than everyone else. Um, so they're not willing to lobby or to well, not even lobby because they're, they're the change makers themselves, and they're not they're not willing to create those changes that um, that will take with that, that that individual individual perspective to it. Um, but yeah, no, it, it definitely is more uh, health is definitely more of a health issue on on a community perspective than any other level um and and i i see i see when i go into healthcare into into hospitals etc ranging from healthcare workers to to patients there is a difference in how they look at it you know um when you ask someone if they smoke or if they take recreational drugs a lot of them will laugh because they're thinking, why would you even ask me that? I would never do that because um, I value my body too much for that. And you're kind of reducing that that people who take recreational drugs, people who 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 smoke, you suggestion that they don't care for their body in the same way. Um, and they most definitely do. You know, I, I think there's an inherent need for human beings to love their own body, and 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 they can't you can't take that away from someone. Um, so it's this um, again again that that reduction of human life in these small systems in these small structural ways of speaking it is what it comes down to to again yeah i mean that's a really interesting thing that you said about love um what was i going to say which is funny because we are recording this on the 14th of feb and <laughs> this always makes me laugh again the limitations of western understanding of such a of such a big word um yeah. to use it to just um Romantic relationship seems mm -hmm. very elementary, but anyway, yeah. so love from a big perspective, it's a driving force. I mean, I can't quote you the study, but when I was first studying neuroscience, I ran into a study about mitochondria, no, sorry, microglia and oxytocin. The relationship being that microglia moves to so microglia sorry for listeners are types of neuronal cells that move towards places of injury they help heal the body in a very direct structural manner so if you hit yourself and you bruise they are part of that conversation of moving the blood and helping move the blood to that point of injury the microglia are in part in communication with oxytocin, which not in a reductionist way, but when we are feeling a sense of connectedness, which is what is often interpreted as love, whether um, microglia through that oxytocin in the blood moves faster to that point site of injury. And then that, that, that part made me look very differently there at, um, at what love is. And in terms of you were saying about self-love and, and bringing it to capitalism, it does seem that capitalism does strip you away from your own love, right? Because number one, where's the time and space? It, yeah. Right, for that to happen. And, it, and, it, and, it, and if you're going and building on what you said about taking your beingness, taking away your dignity, eventually 
that self-esteem is going to go. The self-esteem mm-hmm. being very tied as well to love. So there is a conversation there that love, our capacity for our, to love ourselves is diminished within this capitalistic framework. Do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, I think that's really, really powerful. Um, love is something that I've been exploring a lot more recently. And I started exploring it because I was getting really tired and burnt out from all the activism. And when I explored love, as like you said, more than just in the romantic sense and in a very um, linear sense, and you look at it at a more dynamic level, it's energizing and it's healing, right? Like it's given me the energy that I need to continue with my activism and make me enjoy my activism and not not feel a despair, but rather feel hopeful for the future. Um, and, and regarding love to, to again, non-human beings, I suppose, um, when I go back home to India, there is a different relationship to the land that I walk on, you know. Um, and, and I think a lot of people in Punjab feel the same way. And, and I know that a lot of communities across the world feel the same way. That relationship to the land and that love for the land because of what the land gave to you, but also what that land saw of the community, you know. Uh, it it holds the grief as well as the, the, the happiness in your community as it's developed over over decades. Uh, centuries even right um and and i think uh, that just really to me hammers in the 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 linkage between us as human beings and and the need to love on, on a broader level than just on a human level yeah and it's and it's being able to have the micro and the micro micro and the macro so whilst all of us can carve out that or try to carve out that time and space for that energetic love or to energy is sorry love is an energy that's what it is I mean I guess if we were talking I think would it be a Buddhist who who are the who sorry I went out of my head the people that speak about chakras um is it Buddhism no it's Hinduism right I think I, I think I think it's a few different religions in the area. I know okay. Sikhism covers a little bit, but I'm pretty sure Hinduism okay. and Buddhism, so, I think, do touch on it as well. Okay, so sorry. So let's, let's say the cultures that practice in chakras, that's that's the way that, from my culture, my, but also observations is the way that, it's the closest thing that I can explain it. So that I think the chakras is, a vernac- is now in the vernacular enough that people can understand it from a conceptual perspective, but it is how the closest thing that I can make it analogous to is to a chakra it's an energy it moves i mean um in in your body and um and those of us who have the opportunity to carve that out to make it a priority yes it's important but then again back to the ecology back to the systemic is that capitalism for many of us it robs us from that opportunity like i was thinking about it the other day we had a lot of deadlines and we stopped going for a walk. And I kept thinking, later on, I thought, wow, this is a really, well, first of all, I got angry. <laughs> That's my default, anger. And I was like, this is really stupid. It's a really stupid way of organizing society where I have to negotiate with the time that capitalism gives me because I have to pay the bills, so I have to hit this deadline and my time for healing to the point where I have to say today, I can't go for a walk. And if you're doing double shifts, if you're doing zero hours, you're in that negotiation even more acutely of the time and space that you're gonna have for yourself. And quite, and it's also very, it's spiritual, but it's also very literal, right? Because the less you earn, the more you're in that zone of almost like in the clenches of capitalism, um, the 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 less you know, the more hold of you capitalism has in terms that you're living in a smaller space, so you actually physically don't have the space. Then physically, you don't have the time to be able to devote yourself. So we also need to think about the structural things that rob people from that healing process, from that ability to sit and love themselves, build that self esteem, to then build the other building blocks of 
you know, the not smoking, not drinking, although drinking and drug use is much more complex than that. Um, but it does, it's an interesting thing that you brought up of love and self-esteem because this is something that we're starting to come into the conversation. Like when people ask me, um, how do we get to change? And I was like, with self-esteem. Self-esteem is something that we don't talk about. Mm. But this system, that's what it takes us, right? That's, it takes away. And I think also the people that, I think our people, the people that, protest the people that ask for change I think it takes a lot of love and self-esteem to do that and I hear that when I hear people going oh why are you why are you protesting and you know and if it happened to us do you think we were going to be doing it and I'm like it's so interesting that you don't that's how I see it you don't have the the love and the self-esteem for you your people to go out there and ask yeah for justice. yeah and also yeah. no I, I completely agree MLK was like you got to do it with love because it's too exhausting to do it with anger. I'm still learning that. I, like I said, my default is to just go. Like I, I have a very um, fire energy. If again, if I go mm. from, from from those types of um, knowledges, I've been told that many times. <laughs> um, okay, so now let's look at this in practice. So again, you are going towards the practice of medicine. And tying it to who you are, your observations, your your passions towards health justice. How do you dream of weaving these two worlds together? One that tells you be linear, individualistic, with the world that tells you actually things are not linear, they're interconnected, they're complex, and at the moment, they're not just. Yeah, yeah, that, that's really interesting. Um, that's a really tough question, really. And I think the first step of it is just being radical in your existence. And I think the, the first step of that in itself is again, that self-love and that self-respect and that self-esteem that we talked about. Uh, giving yourself a fair understanding when no one else wants to give you one is what creates that space for us to be able to say, now I can look after the other person. And now I can teach the other person that they need to love themselves and their community and so on as well, right? Um, but looking further into it on like a, a, a institutional level, I suppose, and seeing how how the NHS and other systems in, in healthcare can, can contribute to that. Um, I think we have to really recognize that the NHS was built on a welfare basis, you know, and, and, and welfare itself is built on a loving basis. Mm -hmm. um, so we need to bring back the philosophy behind the systems that we have in place, because we're very close to losing the systems because we've lost the philosophy behind it, right? Uh, you can see the privatization of the NHS going down right now. And I think if people were taught, educated and, and recognized the role of the NHS, not only in treating themselves as an individual, but treating the community around them and reducing the health risk around them, then we would have a community that wants to hold on to the NHS and wants the NHS to flourish. When we want that to happen, there becomes that, again, that symbiotic relationship between the wider community and the healthcare community, you know, where, where we look after each other. Um, I mean, right now we're seeing with the pandemic, and even before that, but especially with the pandemic, how badly healthcare workers have been treated. And, and if, you, if you're not looked after, if you're not cared for, and if you're not supported by your community, it is really hard to support your community. You know, um, and I, I think that healthcare workers working in the pandemic have been radical in just working against all that, all that grief that they're putting into themselves and all that rejection that they're dealing with from, from uh, the government, right? Um, yeah. So I, I suppose that's that's the 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 first main point really. Um, I can talk a little bit about the action point around it as in training, etc. But is that, is that for later? No, 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 no. I think go ahead. I mean, this is both practice and almost dreaming. Like, what would be your best case scenario? Like, what again? Yeah. If there weren't any restrictions. What would you? What would you create? Mm, mm. My utopia. 
my yeah, utility. Or at least not this bad. <laughs> no, no, definitely. And, and and I suppose that's actually a great way to look at a utopia in itself, you know, because no one is going to have an agreement on what the utopia is, but making just pushing towards something that's not this bad. And we can agree that this is bad, you know, the wider community regardless of where you vote, you can agree there are issues in our community and just sitting together and agreeing on pushing towards something that's slightly better and slightly better after that, slightly better after that is so, so vital. Um, again, I keep on coming back to it and 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 and, and that, that loving and caring structure is what we need for that, you know. Um, um, but regarding what we can do on, 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 on a directive level, I think training that takes place is, is obviously hugely important in the healthcare system. I think we need to expand our training to, to issues around, you know, for example, I remember doing a, having a workshop given to me on how to communicate with a refugee in a clinical setting and how to make sure that we can recognize their triggers and so on and so forth in a safe manner because, because they obviously have their own traumas and different traumas depending on which route they came from um, and just making sure that we don't collide with that but to recognize the cultural sensitivity around that issue and then explore it in a safe manner where they feel comfortable because, you know, being in a whole new community and everything. Um, and I think we need to create workshops and systems of training like that from medical school, nursing school, but also the additional training that you do you know, every year or every second year alongside your data protection training. This is just as important. You know, if we're talking about data protection, recognizing why data protection is important not only because fraud, et cetera, but what it does to communities. We've seen, you know, how important data is in creating social change. Anonymous have done an amazing job in that. You know, the, the, the anarchist community that we're all terrified of using the word of have done such a powerful job in using data in, in a loving manner to, to, to attack the ones that are holding back our love for one another. Um, so I think just installing a small section of care and a small section of, of genuine human empathy um, or, or, or even being empathy, because, because you can see dogs cry when they see other dogs crying, right? So it's, it's not about just humans, I have to clarify, because I know even I slipped myself into this anthropocentric approach to these things, Um so yeah, I, I think I think that's that's what's really important. And I think that is what will push us to get everyone to lobby the government and get everyone to join the protests and and enjoy these these movements as they flourish because it is a beautiful thing to see. Okay, that was that was really awesome, Amit. Um I wanna tease out the what you were saying about the refu the refugees and and you know creating a <clears throat> a very specific pathway and care system. Mm-hmm. for refugees and it from there it struck me of just to ask you if you have anything to say again through your practice of medicine or your study of medicine um is trauma and bringing it right back to the beginning of ecology so what we are experiencing in our environments potentially leading us to different diseases or a different viewpoint of disease. So I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you two. So one pathway is <clears throat> that we learn to name them. So there, I can't remember his name. He was treating refugees that were coming from Syria. And I think he then went off to do, do some work in Scandinavia, where he came up with um, defining a new type of trauma because the children, specifically the children, were, were catatonic. It was the best way that he could describe what was happening. So the verbal, their sorry, their language leaving them, but almost all function just, just depleting to, yes, this this point of, of being catatonic because of the acute trauma that we're experiencing. But we often didn't think disease just, and that's that's a one, so that's a one pathway. If you're seeing this, specifically I'm thinking about the pandemic and the acute 
trauma that has been suffered actually within your medical community because no one's talking or very few are talking about the PTSD epidemic that's going to come from those practicing health during the pandemic. But the other pathway is seeing disease completely different because of the amount of trauma that, that people are experiencing, that we don't see it as this diagnosable phenomena, but a, a corruption in our relationship with between humans and what feeds us healing. So with nature, and I mean nature with a capital N, so everything, the clean air, the clean water, but our spirituality, our connection to a bigger force. Do you have anything to say about those two, about those two pathways in terms of new diagnosable diseases or more acuteness in diseases because of these trauma pathways? And the reason I'm, I'm going down the trauma pathway is because unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to move away from capitalism in any time frame that's going to be healing for us. So the climate crisis is going to push human crisis more so, not to mention that capitalism is not sustaining any of us anymore in any way that is of healing. So there's an economic crisis that is also going to be paired up with this. And also then the pathway of seeing disease now as something completely different. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, definitely. Those are both really good points. And it actually made me think about how conditions like PTSD and the, the diagnostic formula is already colonized. Um, you know, um, we, uh, there was a study done in India where there was actually a very low rate of PTSD in communities that were flooded. When they looked further into it, it wasn't that PTSD was reduced, it was just that they were presenting in a different way to the Western standard of how PTSD right. presents in, in the West, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think that is really the first part of it, especially when we look at refugees, because they're coming from a whole different culture. And we have to recognize what that culture is rooted in, how they present that culture to be able to help them in any way whatsoever. So I think definitely, that definitely is a big issue. And I think decolonizing is, is a key part of that that change that we need to create. And, and I agree with you, I think decapitalizing, I suppose, and I won't focus on a different economic system here, but just 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 taking away capitalism will take some time. And like you said, there'll be a lot of damage done by the time we reach that phase. Um, but but I think um yeah just just providing training on recognizing different cultures, recognizing how to learn about different cultures. Because I don't expect every doctor to know the, the hundreds, if not thousands of different cultures that are present. I don't need them to, to adapt and be willing to learn about that culture as it comes into their clinic, you know? Um, and the same goes for, for, for other healthcare workers and, and porters and so on and so forth. Um, I think just creating that culture is, is really vital. Um, and regarding that, that kind of connection to, to the, the broader spectrum and how diseases are becoming more and more prevalent, I think they definitely are. I think I think we we definitely are being, you know, we've seen with companies like Facebook, et cetera, and I'm not going to be one of those people that, that complains about social media, but at the same time, it has been used in its own ways to market and to, to advertise in a way that reduces what you want to 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 very small things. Um, and the example I do for that really is a lot of the food that we eat in India is pretty healthy. Um, but I'm seeing children nowadays from, from our community being more interested in McDonald's. And I get that because, you know, the marketing and even the food itself is quite addictive, right? Um, but it's taking away from these, not, not only the health aspect of the food, but the cultural aspect and, 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 and the, the root of where you come from is rooted in that food as well, right? So it's taking away from, from that as well. So you're looking at, you know, companies like McDonald's and, and the person that they do to, to make this change and this shift happen. Um, so I, I, I and, and, and you know, smoking has been something that when I grew up, it was, my parents told me it was a very bad thing to do, right? Um, but smoking is obviously increasing in minority communities. So, so there, there's clearly this contradiction between what our communities believe in and what our communities are being indoctrinated 
to 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 act upon, and that will definitely increase and is increasing disease prevalence. Um, and and it's not only for the individual, because again, when we see someone in clinic, we see that one person, but looking behind it and seeing the the, the destruction towards their family, you know, because people seeing their their culture being demolished or their or just their children, you know, you can you can look at it from a cultural perspective where you see oh, they can see that, that this is going against their culture and it's hurting. But quite simply just seeing your child or your parent or, 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 or anyone you care for really uh, being treated in a certain way or treating themselves in a certain way is really, really damaging to see. Um, and I think that secondary aspect is hardly ever, if ever, treated well. We're trying to indicate that change right now with social prescribing and things like that, but that is a very slow progress and, and we need to speed that up and, and make it more more again bringing that training into it you know uh, recognizing that if someone has an issue with it, we have to be more dynamic and approach how that might link in with other things and, and exploring that straight away as need be well exactly that's where you bring it back right back to the full circle of why health should be seen as ecological right because we're we're in the west that's being missed of those secondary effects of Definitely. right if a parent or someone that is in a caregiving position, what does that do to the whole dynamic of the of the family um, through their trauma? Mm-hmm. And looking at the full ecological uh, phenomena of, of a person rather than just that singular event, because the way that we're observing, so we do a lot of work within the HPA axis and allostatic load and overload, but what we're observing is, is, and we're going to get to it in, in later studies in this quarter, of even changing how we define, but mainly how we see disease, that we see disease as this time, one as a time-place phenomena, but also a, a corrupted relationship with that with the elements that are there to heal us. And because I think in looking at it from just a singular perspective, i.e. a just one moment in time, right? Because it's, we, there's still, a, that is still how it's, even COVID, right? It goes, oh, you tested for it. Oh no, you don't test for it. It's so binary. It's like, so you're only sick whilst you have COVID, you know, whilst the virus is detectable. But if you zoom out into an ecological perspective, we'll know because did you, are you a person that doesn't have a contract with work and therefore the, maybe you missed two weeks of work because you got really sick, but let's say three weeks of work that you missed. And that if that three weeks of work, you didn't get paid, what does that do to the rest of, you know, if you don't have savings, did you then from there have to relocate home from maybe you lost the opportunity for that job stream or that income stream? And so on it goes, right? And so there you see, okay, well, then if from there that person is battling to recover from, from COVID, but now are facing these secondary factors where they are feeling the stress of having to maybe relocate or find another income stream, then the recovery process is delayed. Where else does that does that lead? And maybe they start getting migraines down the down the line from the stress. And so then you're like, well, where what, what's the diagnosis there? Do you call it COVID or do you call it a migraine? And maybe those are not very helpful anymore in terms of Mainly because of the cascade of stressors that we're seeing people having to deal with, and that they're that you know that we're going seamlessly from one malaise to another malaise. Do you have anything to say with that? And I think from there we wrap it up of of your perspective of where our perception of disease. If we can advance it, we can evolve it, we can iterate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, um, and it definitely is the case. Um, you know, I, I'm. In, in, in medical school, and I don't blame them particularly, but, but there are policies in place that are just like, if you test positive, stay at home. If you have test positive at this time, stay at home. If you haven't, don't do that. You know, we saw at the start of the pandemic, um, 14 days of the isolation period, that became 10 days. Now, Boris Johnson wants to reduce it to 
nil. You know, you can test positive and, and, and go out um, in, in the near future when you're trying to implement that as well. Um, and it's it's very, very destructive um, to, to think like that. Um, and, and regarding the financial thing as well, I totally agree again. Um, I've actually got a friend whose who's parent, one of his parents has tested positive, but um, her mother still has to go into work, even though the, 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 the work knows that that her partner is positive for COVID. Um, they're just telling her that she has to come in, you know, um, which is obviously destructive in its own sense. And it becomes destructive to not be able to go into work for, for, for him uh, as, as a father as well, yeah. trying to, to, to earn that money, you know. That obviously can create a huge shift in, in who the quote-unquote breadwinner is as well, which obviously taps into so many different structures that we have in place, the patriarchy, mm-hmm. one of many, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it just creates this volcanic disruption um, for, for individual communities. Now, I've seen so many communities um, from, from India that have moved here, you know, the diaspora, as as they don't want to go on holidays, they don't want to they don't want to enjoy an expensive dinner because they're scared they might go back into their original financial situation. That trauma hasn't left them because they live in that traumatic stage, even though they have the money to no longer have to live like that, you know. Um, and 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 they're kind of holding on to it because that's that's what they know now, um, and that is that is a a, a disgustingly big issue, really. Um, but yeah, regarding what, what my vision is to, to change that and to, to make that different, I think firstly, we just have to break down that barrier of, of uh, who we are in the West. Um, this, this, this nationalistic, but at this point, patriotic becoming nationalistic perspective of, of how we should exist is damaging because there's so much that we can learn from different communities, you know. Uh, I've taken so much from my own community, but I've taken so much from other communities as well and learned from them because there are some things that they just do better than I did, you know, something that, 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 they, that they did better than, than, than we did. And we just have to create a broader community that, that, that focuses on, on taking the good and not in an extractive way. I think that's really important to mention as well. We can't colonize their lifestyle. We have to learn from it and, and be thankful and grateful and gracious for for using their their approach to to life um and and we need to be collaborative you know with different communities and we need to stop stop again that individualization both on a national level with the border system that we have in place but also on an individual level where we you know if someone wants you know the neighbor needs some sugar you give them that sugar you know those those little things like that is, is what we really need and i think that will create a culture of regeneration and healing um, because we'll, we'll look after one another this show and the work of the urban health council wouldn't have been possible without the support of funders and contributors we'd like to thank the businesses lendlease matter architecture Aseni projects map the human nature partnership town as well as the National Lottery Community Fund, whose contribution has allowed us to delve deeper into community health and begin creating healing futures. We'd also like to thank the following generous individuals, Nick Tyler, Robert Stark, Carl McFadden, Claire Delmar, Jake Robinson, Matthew Pembry, David Smith, Lucy Stewart, Marketa Nosilova, Dominic Campbell, Magali Thompson, James Pellet, and those who wish to remain anonymous, who have all become supporters of the independent science being produced at Century Fab and the Urban Health Council. If this is your first time listening to the show, please head over to urbanhealthcouncil.com to check out more. And if you can, please consider becoming a supporter. Thanks. Bye.